we preached on uh, something worse than hell. Something worse than hell. And uh, tonight, the Lord being our helper, we want to preach on something better than heaven. Something worse than hell and something better than heaven. We have <clears throat> two verses of scripture that we wish to read tonight. One is found in Revelation, the 21st chapter, beginning with the 10th verse, and we will read through verse 18. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a great wall, and high, and twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, twelve thousand furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, an hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall, it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And in connection with that, the 19th chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with verse 11. Luke 19, beginning with verse 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because they was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his twelve servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it come to pass that when he was returned, having received his kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thy authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, because here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I fear thee, because thou art an austere man, thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest where thou hast not, didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up what I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. 
Wherefore then gavest not thou my money unto the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten, ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. And he said, uh, and I, But I say unto you, that unto every one that hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. Something better than heaven. Something better than heaven. I've seen some beautiful sights uh, in my life, which I remember and appreciate. I've seen some beautiful man-made sights. I stood in a room, and it wasn't all that large, just one room, and one million dollars had been spent on that one room. This was in Miami, Florida. That was just a little less than what we spent on this entire building, but that was spent in the small confines of just one room. Needless to say, it was extremely beautiful, and there was tremendous amounts of gold in that room. They had security guards, and uh, the room, the contents of it, were thoroughly protected. I have been in some buildings that I, I remember one in particular. The lobby of that building was about 13 floors high. There was the ascending and descending elevators in various colors, hues. There were bridges that spanned this uh, tremendous lobby, people going and coming. There was various fountains in various areas of this tremendous lobby. You looked down on it at the various locations. Around it on balconies were various restaurants. The diners were blessed and they were served the beautiful and lovely sights as they ate their food in a leisure way. I have seen some beautiful rooms at the various presidential balls that we were privileged to attend, at, uh, the four part of them, rather, and uh, the uh, 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 here of late. And then I've seen natural beauties. I could name quite a few things, but I've heard or did hear that Switzerland itself was lovely. But when I saw it, I, it was surpassed anything that I had heard about it. It looked like a fairyland. It was beautiful. But anything that I have seen here could never compare with the beauty of heaven. John did his best when he described something, what it was like. And I won't go into detail because you have it there in the Scripture for your own self. Suffice it to say that the city itself is 1,500 miles each way. It lieth four square. This means if you put one anchor uh, corner in San Diego, California, it would sweep north almost all the way to Seattle, Washington. And then turning abruptly east, the eastern wall of that city would go to the southern end of the Hudson Bay. Coming down south, it would uh, corner again somewhere around Mobile, Alabama, and then back again to San Diego, California. What a city. And then upward it goes 
1,500 miles. That is far beyond where most of the satellites are in orbit tonight. The lower satellites are in orbits of 200 miles or less, and then there are some that go on up to 2,300 miles, the tallest ones. But most of them, if you went up to the upper floors of that city, you would have to go by a missile or by a jet and be blasted up there, 1,500 miles high. Different layers in that city. Supposing that each layer was one mile difference in the floor and the ceiling of the next layer, one mile, which would be a sizable distance there, uh, there would be 1,500 of those layers, each one of them standing one mile above the other, making a total of square footage of the great and beautiful celestial city of 36 million square miles. Square miles of the United States of America would run around uh, oh, 9,000, uh, something like that. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but uh, the, uh, the actual square mileage, I think I'm wrong on that. Uh, but uh, there would be 36,000 or 36 million square miles in that heavenly city. Heaven is a place. It's not a figment of the imagination. It's a, it is somewhere a place that spirits go to and can come from. John 14, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven is a place. And heaven also is a state of being, not just a place that you go to, but it is also the kind of being you are or person that you are when you get there. This is described in the 19th chapter of Luke's gospel because here we see status is determined in heaven. Here uh, the Son of Man meets with the servants that were left behind and he reckons with them and uh, he um, uh, to them is given various rewards and they are slotted in in their particular position for time and eternity. One was over ten cities, another over five cities, and uh, so the particular responsibilities and authority was given to them. Life has no abrupt thresholds. We think it does, but really it doesn't. We don't just uh, immediately step into a particular situation, and that is, uh, uh, you know, something that uh, is uh, altogether so different. abrupt uh, thresholds and uh, it is that we gradually feed into uh, uh, the particular situation uh, and it, it, we where we are tomorrow in part depends upon the decisions that we make today and where we will be uh, 10 years from now it is part of a flow and a choice process that we make in this world so there are here tonight young people in this particular service that are right now uh, in the process 
of determining what kind of marriage they're going to have. Because that your quality of your marriage depends upon the quality of character that you have. And uh, you cannot put together a marriage any better than the character of two people that's involved in that marriage. Because your marriage is you. And uh, so it is impossible for a person to be uh, snide, caustic, mean, critical, and then to put together a marriage that's sweet and lovely and compatible. It doesn't work that way because the marriage is composed of the two people that enter into that particular relationship. So I do does not abruptly launch you into a, a, a way of life that's appreciably any different than what you have been the last 20 years because that's you. The problems that you've had for 20 years, you carry right straight on across the threshold of your new home and that is a part of you. Life just simply does not have abrupt thresholds. Uh, we just daily become something else by different things we do, by our conversation and by the choices and the decisions uh, that we make. Uh, there are young people that are constructing their character and their happiness or unhappiness for old age. They used to think that people got old and grouchy and, and so on, but they discovered this is not true, that they are just the same people that they have been all of their life. If they have been mean and critical and grouchy in their youth and in their middle age, when they get old, they'll be that kind of a person. They just happen to have a different age, but they'll have the same kind of disposition. Life does not have abrupt thresholds. We just simply walk right into the future and we collect up and put into us ourselves what we actually are, stone by stone and bit by bit, building the person that we really are. And we have everlasting life right now. And we're not going to get it when we die. We won't get everlasting life at the time of the rapture. If you've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you have been baptized in uh, water in the name of Jesus Christ. You have trust in the Lord as your Savior. You've got everlasting life right now. You won't have it at the rapture. You won't have it when you draw your latest breath. You've got it now. You are living the everlasting life right now. The quality of your everlasting life right now will be a whole lot like the quality of it a million years from now. You will enjoy heaven about as much as you're able to. And uh, because that you will have the a capacity for, some people have a capacity of one level of love, others have the capacity of, of another level of love. And uh, so it goes. Life does not have abrupt thresholds that escalates us into a different person. You will be you one million years from now. That is the reason why, friend, that you can't depend upon a particular place to fix things for you. If you are not happy now, no particular place is going to make you happy. It doesn't work that way because I am talking about uh, things that uh, take place inside of us and the kind of a person that day by day we come to be. The quality of life is determined by the quality of relations that we make in this world and that we enjoy. And this determines the quality of life that we have. And relations are like dynamos. They generate and spin out different influences and they create climates. Particular relations do. 
that good relations create good climates. And so these particular good relations give a life to inanimate things and cause them to be enhanced and made very good things if we have a good relationship that is attached to them. Money is worthless otherwise. It is absolutely no good unless it is shared in the confines of a good relationship. But a good relationship imparts something meaningful to money and lends something like life to money so that it's enjoyable and you've got to, money to share with somebody that you love and therefore uh, you enjoy it. And otherwise, it's a drudge, it's a dirge, it's a drag. It, it, it has nothing worthwhile. What good is a beautiful home with all of its good furniture and its curtains and all of its nice decorations, if that house is empty, if somebody has been buried a month ago that you loved and now the voice is not heard, the book is not lifted, uh, the face is not seen, and that place is empty. The beauties of that house is worthless to you because that a relationship has been broken and it's not there anymore. So the real things of life do not exist in places, not in the Adirondacks, not in the Cascades, not in any place, not even in heaven itself. If that is bereft of a relationship, heaven is not really heaven. There is something better than streets of gold. There is something better than high walls of glittering jasper. Nothing that your eye can look at will satisfy that spiritual part and content of yourself. And I want to talk tonight about something that is better than heaven. We get fooled and have been fooled in times past to think that you could go to a place and that place would take care of every need. That is a wrong slant on it altogether. Places do not take care of spiritual needs. It takes the spirit to meet the needs of the spirit and to fellowship in the spirit. I, if I am cold and brittle and hard and uncaring in my heart, in my attitude, and in my spirit, no place that I could ever go to, not even heaven itself, would give to me the thing that I want. Therefore, again, your pastor comes back to plead for that higher quality that belongs to human beings, that we ought to cultivate that finer side of ourselves and that lends itself to the good emotions of love, of trust, of compassion, of mercy, forgiveness, and things of this nature because these are the things that make heaven really heaven. Our relationships are carried not just in time, but they go into eternity too. They walk right across the, the threshold of death. And the threshold of death is not abrupt in, it, in as much as it doesn't change you appreciably. You go right straight into another room, the same kind of a person that you've been living for the last, what, 20 years, 30, 40, 60, 70. And you've still got your same name. You still have your same memory. You still have your same likes, dislikes, hates, loves, same personality, except you're just simply in a different place. But you're the same you that you have built yourself to be over a period of time. That's the reason why that tonight's service is important. 
and your response to every altar call and your times of reading God's Word. And every decision you make is an important decision. All of that is important because stone by stone and block by block and board by board, we build either ourselves a hovel or we build ourselves a temple of worship for our God. Yes, we do. Every day that we live, praise God. There's an old saying that says that home is where your heart is. And people say things of that nature because happiness is not found in any one place. And happiness is not found in any one thing. Places and things do not make people happy. It, they don't do it. They never have and they never will. If you are at odds inside, if you are in discord on the inside, if there is no peace in your heart right now, there is nothing that you could place in your hand that will fix it. It's got to be fixed in the spirit and in the heart. I have the recognition, to have the recognition of God when we are on the other side and in eternity. To have God's recognition is better than being in heaven. Yes, it is. Now, of course, that's beautiful to see, all right to look at, and all the wonderful things that I've seen. In time, they could become old hat if I stayed around them long enough. If there wasn't something else called love that I could share with somebody else, and together we could go and admire particular things, everything else would become dead, and sterile, meaningless, and, and brittle, and and uncaring yes sir it really would but to have the Lord's recognition is worth more than being in heaven itself Jesus emphasized the fellowship that was on the other side he didn't emphasize the beauty that was there he just simply said it's my father's house and I'm going to go there and I'm going to fix a place for you and I'll come and I'll bring you back and uh, I want you to be with me and that's all he said about it. It's all he said. But he had a whole lot to say about fellowship and about you being placed in the right category when you got there. He had much to say about that, about the level that you would occupy once you got there. He didn't say how many rooms your house had. He didn't say anything about that. It was left to John to give us a description of heaven. Jesus had come from there. He knew all about it, but he had nothing virtually to say about it. But he had a whole lot to say how, uh, about uh, the, the placement of people once they got there. And Jesus made, uh, uh, made it very clear that it was to be a warm and it was to be a beautiful thing. He said in Matthew, the 8th chapter, verse 11, he said, they're going to come from the east and they're going to come from the west and that you're going to see them and they're going to sit down with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God. It's going to be fellowship time, a long, long table. And all of God's children are going to come home and it's just going to be great and you're going to see them. And he told the Jews, he said, you're going to see yourself thrust out and not there. And there's going to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth when you see the warmth, the, 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 the love, the fellowship that's there. And you're on the outside. Why, why, why were they on the outside? Precisely this. Because they had taken it and made that which is supposed to have been beautiful and life-changing into something that was mean and rigid and cold and hard. They had turned it into a religion. 
And they conceived 108 ways to break the Sabbath. And it was all written down. It was cut and dried. And their functions and forms and rituals were more important than man himself. They had much rather reach down and take a sheep out of the ditch on the Sabbath day than to see that somebody was healed. They didn't love nobody but themselves. And they trusted in their religion uh, to get them saved. I would submit to you, friend, that functions and performances do not save souls. I'll submit to you all over again that places and things never satisfy. There's something better than heaven. As far as just a place, I've never seen much gold. I've seen a lot of paper money, but very little gold. And you have seen them make paper money. Many of you have. I've seen them roll it out on, on skids. That stuff would be stacked this high. It would be 36 by 36 by 36. And then they had these special paper cutters that cut them into bills. Oh, I don't have many bills as in one sheet. And that was just precise. So they ran that thing under the cutter and... And they cut those bills up. And I looked down and I, I saw $50 bills. A big gold skid and a stack high. And just, man, just oodles of money. I, just millions of dollars. There I stood. And I looked down and I saw it. And I never wanted to take an offering so bad in all of my life. And... Uh, there it was. Yeah. But gold itself won't, uh, won't satisfy. And nothing else just in itself will satisfy. Two men came to Jesus from eternity, which makes us to know that the other side is a place where you're known. The Bible said we would know even also as we're known. Will you know one another in heaven? Yes, you will. Will you know one another in hell? Yes, you will. Because you will be you always. You never will change from being you with your own name and your own personal identity. So one day when Jesus and three of his disciples were on a mountain praying, there was a rent in the veil between uh, eternity and time. And while those three men were asleep, there was two people that emerged from eternity and stood upon the rocky dirt of old terra firma and they talked to Jesus. And when the disciples waked up, they saw them there and they knew that they had come from the other side. They had come from eternity. And Luke the ninth chapter, verse 31, tells us that they talked to Jesus and it was a conversation, went on link, and they talked to him about his decease how he was going to die. How in the world are you going to get out of here? And that was the subject. Death has no claim over you. You were not born of an earthly father. You have not committed any sin since you've been born. You were born without sin. And death has no claim on you. Uh, how are you going to get out of here? And Elijah and Moses is there, and both of them had left here in an unusual way. And they talked to him about his decease about how you're going to leave here and get out of time. And, I'm, and Moses might have said, you can do it like I did. I just slipped over behind a hill over there and nobody was looking and, and I was gone. And, uh, and Elijah said, well, well, you know what happened to me? He, he sent his personal chauffeur for me. I just stepped on board and shoo, 
and I was gone. And you can do it that way and so on. But the Lord Jesus knew that there was a special thing that he was supposed to do. And there they stood and they talked about it. They came out of eternity and they stood in time. If I preach tonight to somebody here has any doubt that there is a real heaven, there is a real hell, that people do go to hell and people do go to heaven. And there's a great gulf that's fixed between the two. Friend, that's true. That actually exists tonight. It actually does. How we put lots of credits in those places. We think that when we get to one of those places, it'll do something to us and for us. It won't do it. You're going to do the doing right now, here. And if it's not done here, it never will be done. Right now, we are participating in eternity. Right now, we'd better live our lives in the light of eternity because there is no abrupt threshold between here and there. It's only a breath away, just a heartbeat away, and we step over into the other land. Matthew, the 24th chapter, tells us, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all of His holy angels with Him, he shall set up on the throne of his glory, and before him shall all nations be gathered. And he shall separate them, the one for the other, as a shepherd divideth the sheep from the goats. And he shall say unto those upon his right hand, Come thou, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for thee for the foundation of the world. For I was an hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. And the righteous shall answer him, saying, Master, when saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, naked, and clothed thee, sick, and in prison, and visited thee? And he shall say, Inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. I like those words that he says, Come thou blessed of my Father. I want to say all over again tonight, folks, that that God's recognition of you will mean more than streets of gold. It will mean more than flashing gates of pearl. For God to say something nice to you, that'll mean more than anything in the world. If I'm preaching tonight to somebody here that you have doled and thought and sung and dreamed about things and and about places and you thought that things and you thought that places was the most important thing that is not true it's how is it with you and God tonight how is it between you and your fellow man tonight how is it in your walk with God and your growth in the spirit because life has no abrupt thresholds that transform us very much from the person that we've always been In a few days, we will go to Washington. And there's a chance that I'll have an opportunity to meet the President of the United States. That's going to tempt me to arrange that. And I would like to. And I think that would be nice. But more than that, and far beyond that, if I can meet my Lord in peace, and if he will say something nice to me, and if I can see that he knows who I am and that he calls my name, that will be more than heaven.
there is something better than heaven. And that is how my Savior feels about me. Praise God. And if he would say good things to me, I, I wouldn't care where I live if I just had that kind of recognition and that kind of fellowship. And the gospel shows us that these individual meetings are very personal. He took them one at a time. The fellows had the talents, and he divided them out. He said, you, you're going to have this, and you're going to go there. And then comes the men with the pounds, and he said, you're going to take charge of ten cities. Say, we're going to have great things to do out in the future. And you, hey, you, I'm going to give you five. And uh, now then, uh, you've managed uh, ten pounds. You're going to manage these ten cities. You, you're going to get well with five. You're, you're going to do well with these five cities here. Hey, you, you're good at that. And so here we go from here. And, but it was a very personal thing. Praise God. You know, we people that live and reside in the presence of such tremendous profundities as these that I'm talking about tonight, I can't imagine for the one life of me how it is that anybody could be dry-eyed, casual, sober-sided, relaxed, and so on. Man, we are talking about shattering things. We are talking about profound things. And, you, you know, I have make no apology about my worship and, and my preaching. I make no apology about it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory. I went to see a doctor not just, just recently, and I took a stress test and checked my heart out. And um, so he was talking to me, and, I was getting all taped up to that. He said, well, said, uh, you have an exercise program? I said, no, I don't. I said, I'm just on again, off again, and I don't have a steady way of exercising. But I said, I'm an old-time preacher man. And I said, I get uh, a lot of exercise in, in preaching. Oh, he said, I doubt that. He said, <laughs> he said you know, said, exercise in preaching is from the eyebrows up mostly and said, you know, uh, down beneath the eyebrows is not much activity and, and so on. Oh, I said, you don't know. I said, I get lots of exercise in preaching. And he said, well, like what? I said, I, I yell and I scream and I pump my arms and I said, I leap into the air. And uh, he said, uh, he said, really? He said, you really do that? I said, you'd better believe that. Well, he said, you know, I kind of doubt that. said, we're going to have to check that out. You're going to need some exercise besides that. I said, what you, I want you to do is to come Sunday, doctor, and evaluate my preaching and to see if I'm actually getting enough exercise in my preaching. He said, well, that might be a good idea. I'll bring my, my nurse along and so on. And I said, well, if we don't get the quantity, uh, the, qu the, uh, the, the quality, we get the quantity. I said, I never have preached a message. It was over five hours long. I said, I began one morning at 10 o'clock, and I didn't finish till 3 that afternoon. And I said, uh, I was wore out. He said, what do you think about the poor people? And uh, I said, well, I said, yeah, you're telling me. You already told me that there wasn't much exercise in this uh, preaching and so on. Well, he, he said, you got me there. He said, was there anybody left? I said, uh, there wasn't but two left. 
I said, they went to eat dinner, and when they finished dinner, they came back, and uh, they got there for the rest of the sermon. And I said, I want you to come on out. And I said, let's try it. He said, oh, thank you. And so, praise God. But oh, folks, when you think about the length, the height, the breadth of eternity, what is involved in all of this business? Oh, there needs to be tears. There needs to be compassion. There needs to be commitment. There is nothing too hard, nothing too much to give. There is nothing too drastic to demonstrate when you think about so, 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 so. Right. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Judson Taylor, what time set? You don't have to teach missionaries that they ought to love souls so much that if you will just get them to love Jesus. He said, if they love Jesus like they ought to love Jesus, everything else is going to be all right. And that was exactly what Jesus tried to do. Just before he left, he met with his disciples for the seashore. And he over and over... He pounded it in to the apostle. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? That was the motivation. The motivation was love and to care and to reach out. And Paul had that. Acts 20, chapter, verse 24, he said, Neither count I my life dear, that I might by all means win some. The cost is never too great, he is saying. Not even my life would be too great a price to pay. And I know this tonight. There have been times in my life when I wanted some of the work of God to move so desperately. There's been three different times that I have told God, if you'll just do it, God, if you'll just move it, God, you can take my life. I'm willing to die. I'll die for it. I'll give myself for it. Oh, when I think about the other side, it's not just cold gold that you touch. It's beautiful, but it's so cold. It's a pretty gate, but so massive. I feel so small. But we're talking about that warm element that's called love that flows up and down the streets of glory. That's a part of a relationship there that goes to the throne and back from the throne all over again. Now, I've said tonight that to have the recognition of God is better than, than heaven. And I want to take it a step farther than that. To have the rewards that God will give is better than heaven itself. And there are rewards. And we're speaking of life as real, a life that is just as real as this one. There have been people that made, have made physical excursions into the other world. They went into the other world. The shoes were on their feet. The clothes were on their back. And uh, they just, and they went over on the other side. And uh, clothes, shoes, whatever was in their pockets, and, and uh, they were gone. Now, that is a fact of history. The fellow that stepped over first, his name was Enoch. And the Bible said he walked with God. And he did that for 365 years. And I don't know whether he had a particular way he walked, particular places he walked, but uh, when he didn't show up and they looked for him and they couldn't find him, if they tracked him, they followed his steps.
and here he goes, and he turned this way. Yes, I think he's going down to the spring. Here he goes, and whoop, there's no more tracks. That is his last track. And he's gone. And then there was Moses, and there was Elijah, and there was Lazarus dead four days, and he was on the other side. Jesus calls him back, and there was Jesus too. And he had his robe on him, he had shoes on his feet, and while they beheld, a cloud received him out of their sight. She's gone. There is another side, and the Bible says the day will come when the false prophet and the others with him will be taken and cast alive, screaming, clawing, thrashing, clothes on, coattails flying. They'll disappear out of visual sight into beyond another wall that you can't, you can't feel. And where did they go? The Bible said they would be cast alive into a lake of fire that's burning with fire and then brimstone. I'm talking about something that's real tonight. If I preach to somebody here that's trying to satisfy your soul with a cold crust of this world and to think that things down here that your hands can fasten upon will satisfy, come off of it. It won't do it. It won't do it. Right now, you are affecting eternity. And uh, we're prone to be passive about the other side. He's preparing me a place and all fixed up. I'm down here and I'm having a hard time. And I'm not happy. And I've got complaints and I do a lot of criticizing. I talk about people and, and uh, I drag out to church and I don't worship much. Once in a while, I, I get feeling pretty good in church and service, and I put my hands up. And, eh, but that's about the extent of it. But, oh, in that sweet by and by, and it's going to be so different. And we'll there to sing forever as I look upon his face on the streets of glory and so on. It doesn't work that way, friend. It, you've got to have a little heaven to go to heaven in. In fact, listen to me carefully tonight. The Bible speaks about heavenly places here and that we have a little heaven here, that we move from here in this little heaven into the real heaven there. Praise God. And we walk in heaven and we sing in heaven. Praise God. And, and it's kind of heavenly, you know. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory. <clears throat> hallelujah. I want to take my boys back to the old home that I came from. Little country church, the corner crossroads. There my uncle led the singing. He was a deacon in that church. There, I used to go with my grandmother. I'd come and spend a month at a time with her. A long line of mailboxes. And that was as far as the mailman went. And the farmers would come up out of the Sabine River bottom and various other places and stop by and pick up the mail at the mailbox. 
And they used to sing that, those songs, you know, in the sweet by and by, he will rest on that beautiful shore. And that was so long ago. Well, that's wonderful. But it doesn't have to be that way. I've got a little heaven to go to heaven in. Yes, sir. And it's not in the sweet by and by. It's the sweet now and now. Praise God. And I'm enjoying my, my salvation right now. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, glory, glory, glory. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Heaven is a place. Heaven is a real place. And there are heavenly places down here. We thank God for them. Relationships are created in uh, selflessness, and love will be better than heaven itself because they are those intangible things. The uh, final tabulation of guilt of an individual that lives without God is going to have to wait until eternity future to know just how guilty that person really is. You can't determine it in time. Here is an uncle that likes his nephew, and he brings his nephew along with him. And the uncle is a tremendous curser. He curses in a certain way. The way he rolls those foul words off a particular place are, you know, all kind of hobnobs of some of his cronies, and, and he's listening. And he hears uncle so-and-so tell some of the dirtiest and the filthiest jokes that's supposed to be jokes. And he listens, and he memorizes those things. And then a heart attack hits Uncle Joe, and he's, he's gone, or Uncle Sam, whoever, and he's not there, and he's buried. But his influence keeps rolling. It's in the life of that young nephew that's possibly only nine years old now, but it's in other people's lives too. He's cursing just like he cursed. He's got those same old filthy jokes memorized, and he tells them. He tells them to his friends at school, what about 15 of them? And they, it's multiplied 15 times. And they learn to curse just like that and to talk just like that. And it rolls on out. And long years after that man is dead and in his grave, his guilt piles up like interest on old debts. Guilty, 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 guilty. Long after he's buried. Same thing happens to the righteous. That person that you won to the Lord, you, they, they win others, and, and they give to missions, and, and the people that they win win somebody else. And it's blessing, 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 blessing. You know the story of Brother Johnston. Brother McInerney has told it several times about how that in Cisco, Brother Johnston never let him alone, always trying to get him to come to church. And lo and behold, when he moved to Odessa, he thought he would be rid of a brother, uh, that man Johnston, and uh, he won't be bothering me. And then he looks, and here comes a vehicle by the house, and in it is sitting a man by the name of Johnston, and he's living right down the street. 
and he sits in on him and doesn't give up. And the McInerney family comes to God. And a boy is born in the McInerney family, and they said, let's call him Jesse. And Jesse was taught by the teachers of this church in Sunday school. And in time, Jesse marries a missionary's uh, daughter. And in time, Jesse goes to, uh, to the South Sea Islands. I saw his good work there. I saw 30-something people. I saw the, uh, the heard of the work in Vanuatu, and there was two great pastors who had been baptized and who brought their churches in. And so what am I looking at? I'm just looking at a man by the name of Johnston with grease under his fingernails that works in Odessa, that makes a, a living, just an average wage, and so on. But in eternity, there will be people tiptoeing. Johnston! Johnston! Hey, Johnston! Johnston! Blessing! 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 Praise God. Rolling on and rolling on. Hallelujah. I'm talking tonight about something that's real, that's so real, that's so real. I get excited about that. People excite me. Multitudes. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Proverbs 11 and 30 says, He that win his souls is wise. And Daniel 12 and 3 says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and he that turneth many to righteousness as the stars forever. What he would say about me. That's what I want. I want people. I want relationship. I want to talk to somebody. I, I want them to tell me something. I want to share some things together. I want to have something to talk about. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I was reading not long ago of a dream that a woman had. And she wrote it as an article and it came out in a magazine. And I happened to be reading that magazine and she had dreamed that she went to heaven and it was more than what she had thought it would be in its beauty. She looked forward to meeting the master and she met him and she was glad to see him. And he had a crown for her and he gave it to her but there was something reluctant and there was something almost a little cool about it. And she took the crown and she put it on her head and, and she was so happy and she was thankful. And she walked around heaven and she was thankful to be there. But in her dream she said, I noticed that the people that I met looked at me a little strange and uh, so I didn't know what was going on. And finally I asked somebody, why is it that people are staring at me? Why is it that I'm getting this kind of reception here in heaven? And somebody said, uh, uh, Dear, have you ever taken a look at your, at your crown? And she says, No, you better look at it. And she took her crown off and she looked at it and it was lovely and it was beautiful. But there was, and according to her dream, no star in her crown. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and he that winneth 
turneth many to righteousness as the stars forever and forever. Yeah, I want something to talk about. I want somebody to meet me there. This is what's going to make it so good. Is the relationship that I have when I get there. Yes, it will. I have mentioned to this church, I think before, of a woman who came to the church that Brother Kilgore is now pastoring in Houston. It was a Sunday night. She came tearfully down the aisle as soon as Brother Kilgore finished his message and she knelt at an altar. She poured out her repentance and in just a little while she was speaking in tongues and people in talking with her found that she knew all about Pentecostal way. In fact, she had lived for God for a good while and then she had backslid and she had been out in the world for about 10 or 12 years and now she was coming back to God and she was so sorry that she had uh, gone away from the Lord. And that was Sunday night. Monday morning, they went on vacation and they went out to California. They came through this country on the way to California. Out in Arizona somewhere, they took a little detour and went through a small town to look at something, and they didn't see the train, and they ran into that train. And uh, the husband was killed, and, and she was laid out there gasping for her life. And uh, people talked, and they said, can't we take her and put her in the depot? Has anybody called the doctor? Of course, they were out in the boondocks. And... Uh, Somebody says, can't we put her in a car and get her to a hospital? A doctor had stopped, and he said, there's no need moving her. He said, just let her alone. Stand back where she can get some air. She's only got a couple of hours to live anyway. But they thought she was unconscious, but she could hear, and she heard him. And she had enough strength to murmur these words. Only two hours to live. Dear God, what could I do for you in just two hours? In only two hours. In only two hours. That little cliche is so true. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Consequently, my good people, there will be some religious nobodies in heaven. They'll be there and be happy because they only have a little small capacity to enjoy happiness anyway and uh, they will enjoy it about as much as they would enjoy anything saved by the blood of Jesus Christ but they are such a little bitty people and been so selfish wrapped up in such a small wad and so heaven won't mean much there's not many people here I know anyway I didn't send anything up, and so on. The Bible does talk about laying up treasures inside. Moth doth corrupt. The Bible does talk about living in such a way when you fail, they will come and receive you into everlasting habitation. Come on, come on. This way. Hordes of them. Big bunches of them. Hey, that's my friends. I don't... Oh, all of them, but I'm going to get acquainted. They know me? Yeah. What's happened here? 
in this particular instance that I just quoted, this person had taken the mammon of unrighteousness and used it in such a way that it spread the gospel, that it sent the missionary, that it did something good in the kingdom of God, and he turned the unrighteous mammon into hordes of people saved, coming down to receive him into everlasting habitations. There's something better than that has to do with this business called people for whom Christ died. Let's all say people. People. Let's say it again. People. Let's say it again. People. Why is this kind of a message appropriate? Because in time past there have been some people, at least it was that way when I first got the Holy Ghost, all that they could think about Jesus Christ was if he was a fire escape to get them out of hell. And heaven is what I'm going to get out of it. And all of it is me. And what's in it for me? But when I turn it in this direction, and this is the direction that Jesus went in, and this is where he dwelt, for he said there is more rejoicing in the presence of the angels of heaven over one sinner that repents. I can start heaven ringing now. I can participate in heaven now. I have an affinity with heaven now. Praise God. Hallelujah. No, there's not those abrupt thresholds that's going to do all that for us. If there's anything done to you, it's going to be your decision in services like this tonight. And you're going to make the adjustments here it won't be made there. You make them now or they won't be made. Praise God. Hallelujah. Heaven would be sweet if I can share it with a friend that I've loved and known a long time. And arm in arm, we can say, let's walk down here a ways. I, I want to show you something. And my friend and I, we walk alone. Heaven will be made so sweet if I've got somebody that I brought along to share it with. Brother Jones, once in a while, visits a beautiful little girl. And, uh, this beautiful little girl loves God. I can remember her grandfather when her mother was also just a very small little black-eyed girl. And her grandfather, he didn't like me. I met him in the hospital for the first time. He didn't even enjoy my hospital visits. He was short pug-nosed, he was a sports fiend, he was a gambler, he, he drank, he was a cusser, he was mean, and he didn't like preachers. But God gave me a burden for J.W. Thames, and I visited him every day that he was in the hospital. He'd have his TV going, and he resented me coming in and interrupting his program, and he'd let me know it, and you know, he just kind of turned his back on me, and, and I'd just stand there and talk to the wall, and, and uh, 
pray and go. And when he left the hospital and went home, the burden that I had for that little short, ugly man <laughs> stayed with me. And I went back and back and back and back. And one day he had it up to here. He'd give me a good cussing out. And it got to be a joke in our house. How'd you and J.W. make out today? And I'd answer it this way. Oh, great. J.W. loves me. <laughs> Praise God. He just don't know it yet. But, but he really loves me. I counted it up the number of times that I went back to that man's house. Seventy-two times counting the hospital visits. But I paid a call on that man. I remember one particular revival. He'd never been to our church. <clears throat> we were hurrying to get to church. We were coming down Blue Bunnet. Blue Bunnet intersects 16th Street. And there was a light at the intersection of Blue Bunnet and 16th Street. And I pulled up behind a black Buick. And I was anxious to get to church. And... and, uh, and and then I happened to notice that car. I said, that's J.W.'s car. I said, oh, God, I said, wouldn't it be wonderful if he was on his way to church tonight? Lord, in Jesus' name. And then that right blinker came on. Bling, 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 bling. And I said, he's turning, he's turning. And sure enough, shoo, he turned down 16th Street. And I drove right behind him. Jesus, 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 Jesus. <laughs> we was coming on down. Now it is the 20th block, 19th block, 18th block, and got four more blocks to go, 17, 16, and then 14, and then here comes that right blinker on again. Bling, 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 bling. He's turning it. He pulled that black Buick right in on the parking lot. Friend of mine, he didn't have time to get out of that car before I was standing right there. And when he opened the door, there the preacher was. Praise God. I said, hello, J.W. Man, it's great seeing you, old boy. I'm glad you're here tonight. Come on in here. We're going to have church. And uh, come on in. You're going to meet some folks that you know, and it's going to be all right. And so we went on into the church, you know. It was one of those kind of meetings, you know, that you want everything to be just right. And, and I'd already heard him run his mouth about what he liked and didn't like about church and what he thought about preachers and all of that, you know. He was very liberal with his comments. And uh, so I just wanted everything to be all right that night. And we had an evangelist, and that evangelist was unpredictable, and sometimes he was as wild as a March hare. And that night, I just thought, well, maybe he will just kind of tone it down and just hold it a little bit here till we can get through this service. And this is J.W.'s first time. We don't want to just run him off and, you know, and everything be all right. But when that, and everything was fine. I managed that. I, I kept it in order, you see. And after all, the scripture said, let everything be done decently. And all right, so. But when I turned it to that evangelist, 
the evangelists have been there fretting under that kind of a sedate uh, atmosphere anyway. There's nothing happening around there. And he was a p tremendous guitar plunker. And when he got up, he started looking for his guitar. And he'd swing that strap around his neck and he'd start strumming that guitar and he'd start walking and looking at the people and, and praying and, and uh, carrying on there and before he ever preached. And you never knew what he was going to do. And I... I was just on edge that night. And sure enough, that night, that, that congregation had been kept kind of, you know, on even keel for all that time. They were looking for something, a little breath of air, you know. And when that evangelist gave them a chance, they just exploded. And, and I said, oh, my Lord, we, it's gone now. And, and, and so that evangelist of all things well he said it seems to me like tonight that the lord is leading us right here and that he wants us to have a healing service and i believe there's somebody here that god wants to heal and fill with the holy ghost and the people say Amen. and then the line began to form and he said come down and help me pray for him and uh, i was praying and watching julia again and uh, I saw him get up. I said, uh oh, here it comes. He was he had a bad temper. He got up, walked straight down between those seats, got to the aisle, turned, and I said, he's headed for the door. Went right straight toward that back door. Got to the back door, shot abrupt left. Came down this way. Oh, what the hell was happening here? Right down the side of the wall. Got in the line. And then I begin to feel better. I begin to really pray for folks now. You know? and I begin to feel the power of God. Praise God. And they moved along and came up there. And after a bit, there he stood. Little, pug-nosed, ugly little man. Standing before the vineyards. And what do you want, mister? The evangelist says, what do you want God to do for you? He looked up and he said, I've had heart trouble. I want you to pray that the Lord would make me well. And I was standing right there. Oh, I was so full. My fasting, my tears, my praying. And then he kind of shifted, looked over to me, J.W. did. And I was looking right at him. The tears are just dripping off my chin. He swallowed. Looked back up at the evangelist and said, and pray that the Lord save my soul. Oh, my. Praise God. The evangelist prayed for him. And I was right there. I said, come on, J.W. I said, let's me and you go over here. And I feel like that we ought to pray together. His wife came that night. Those two little pretty black-eyed girls came that night. And I believe the wife received the Holy Ghost. Maybe the girls did. J.W. didn't. But the next night, he was back. And he received the Holy Ghost. He became one of the most effective soul winners that I have ever met in my life. He never let anybody go. He held on to when I get on the other side. Hey, JT! 
Hey, JT, over here. Yeah, over here, JT. We're all over here. We're JW's kids. Come on in. You're our grandpa. Praise God. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. Praise God. And as you'll shine as the brightness of the firmament forever, forever, and forever. Yeah. And there's somebody else that I'm going to see over there. And I had a part in the salvation of her soul when I was only 13 years old. And that was my dear mother. She was 61 years old. She was a good woman. When we got the Holy Ghost, it was when you got persecuted. When people thought you were crazy, sure enough. People just turned against my sisters when they received the Holy Ghost. Your father would turn over in his grave if he knew that you were going to that church. All of that stuff. And then later on, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Mother never went to church with us. Maybe she was being loyal to the memory of a very wonderful man that she loved very much. I don't know, but she never went. And then it was hard work on the farm, and she was so tired so much of the time. And... My sister, just older than myself, was the only ones left home at that time, and we didn't think much about it. Mom was good. She prayed. She would sing those old hymns, Life is like a mountain railroad with engineer that's brave, and uh, those other songs, you know, on Sunday afternoon. And uh, she was a good woman. She was a lady. I thank God for her. She never cut her hair but one time in her life. No preacher ever preached to her about not cutting her hair. But it was like the Bible said, nature itself taught her. And she was so embarrassed about her cropped hair and she wouldn't go out into public until it grew out again. That was my mother. That was my heritage. And I loved her. But we just took her for granted. We were in a revival meeting. One night, God gave me a dream. It's one of those dreams that you have when you know that it is from God. And in that dream, I was standing on a ledge, and the rest of the bank rose up sheer behind me and dropped away abruptly at my feet. And hell rolled before me with the lost in it that came screaming and tumbling like cardwood, sweeping by, reaching and clutching, wild-eyed, frightened, horrified. And then I was, I was arrested. Alone came my mother, rising up out of the valley of a huge wave. She saw me. Her long hair was flowing back in the fire. She reached those big hands toward me that were, had heavy corns in them, that were blue veins. She was just a working countrywoman. And she <coughs> cried out to me, 
my nickname. And she said, oh, buddy, 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 help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. She was gone. I never forgot her face. I waked up. I was scared. I shook with fright. I wept and didn't go to sleep for a long while. The next morning, Ivan L. and myself were chopping cotton. We were just getting it off there. I was hoeing close to her. And I said, Ivan L., I had a dream last night. I dreamed about, I call her mother now. It was mama and it was papa then. I dreamed about mama. I dreamed that I saw her in hell. I'm, I'm really stirred. We're going to have to do something to get her into church. And I said, let's try to get her to come tonight. And she said, she won't come. And I said, she might. And I said, tell you what, let's divide up the night work and fix it so she can come. And so we chopped along and and she said, all right, I'll do this, and I'll do that. And I said, well, I'll do this, and, and is there anything else that she does at night? And we figured it all out, and we divided the work between us. And then after a while, my mother lifted that old heavy hole and put it on her shoulder and headed for the house. She went in early to cook dinner for us. And when we got in, there was the cornbread, and there was the vegetables, and there was a good sound meal all there on the table. And we ate. And I wanted to talk to her. And I was scared. Why is it that your relatives are the hardest folks in the world to say something to about the Lord? And I knew I had to do it. And my heart was beating fast. I was just 13 years old. And after a while, I, I said, Mama. She looked up. I said, we want you to go to the revival with us tonight. And that was awkward for her, too. And she exploded to cover up her embarrassment. And she said, oh, what are you talking about? You know good and well, I can't go to church. I said, why? Why you know better than ask me that? All of this stuff to do around here in this night work, I can't go to church with you. And I said, well, me and Ivanel uh, divided up the night work and uh, and... She's going to do this and this and this, and I'm going to do this, this, and this, and it'll, we'll take care of it if you'll go with us to church. Now, you never have been to church with us, Mama. We want you to go. And then I, I saved my best shot to the last, and I said, if you'll go, I'll go before I go back to the field, and I'll draw up your bath water for you. And she looked down at the plate, and then after a while she mumbled, and she said, all right. Here is this poor, shy country lady with a soul. And I went out to the well and I began to pull that water out. Poured it into the old number three tub so it could sit in the sun that afternoon and warm. So it would be warm for her. And sure enough, after a while, I saw her hoe out to the end of the row pick that old hoe up and put it on her shoulder and head for the house. She went to church with us that night. She had had the best dress on that she had. It was a feed sack dress made out of pink material. 
but the starch had not been strained good. It was flour starch, and there was a big white spot here on the back of it. And she had on a coat. It was summertime, and she didn't need the coat, but the dress had on short sleeves, and she knew that you were supposed to be modest. And everybody said amen. And so uh, she was in church. Friend, when they gave that altar call that night, that little short Dutch woman that could stand under my arm, she just got up. Didn't seem like it was any bother. Something she wanted to do. She walked right straight down, knelt at that altar. She wasn't there long until those big old brown hands, she put them up. I'd seen my mother pray a lot of times, but I'd never seen her put her hands up. Next night, she was baptized. She received the Holy Ghost. And then it was Sunday. She said, I don't feel good. I feel like going to church this morning, but I'll go tonight. I went to church. Ivanel went home with somebody. I walked the three miles back, stayed around the house all Sunday afternoon. Then it was time to get ready to go to church. And my mother came around the side of the house and she was walking slow. The sand was deep along around the corner. When she got to the steps, she got a hold of the post and stood there a while. And she looked up and she said, Buddy, I can't go tonight. I just, I feel real bad. I'm sick. So, kissed her goodbye and I went to church. When I came back home and that light was on that table beside her bed and I loved her so much. I never left without kissing her. I never came in without kissing her. And I went into her bed and she was so horribly sick. I threw up some fresh water out of the well that was cold and I washed her face and we did for her what we could and I made a pallet down there beside the bed and I was going to stay awake. But I was just a growing boy and I was tired and I went to sleep. And I waked up in the wee hours of the morning. My mother was dying. She came within about 36 hours of hell. But when I get on the other side, I'm going to hear somebody saying, JT, JT, hey, JT. And then I'm going to hear somebody say, buddy, buddy, over here. <laughs> That's going to make a hell of a heaven. And I see her. <laughs> I won't be wanting to see any jasper walls. I won't be looking at any gold. I'm going to say, Mama, <laughs> so good to see you. Missed you. You was a good mama to me. I'm glad. Yeah, there's something better than heaven. It's people. Jesus thought it was. He left the place vacated it, came down where the people were. <laughs> God wants this church to feel that. 
not to be locked up in selfish motivation, but to love what Jesus loved. And that's people for whom he died. Praise God. Oh, praise God. <laughs> it seems to me like tonight that we ought to just dedicate ourselves all over again. Dear God, I want to take somebody with me. I don't want to come by myself. I want to have somebody to share it with. I want to, I want to talk with somebody up there. I, I want to have some company. I, I really do. Praise God. I want to bring somebody along with me. Hallelujah. 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 I want the Holy Ghost to do its work tonight. And would you allow the Holy Ghost to do his work? And would you do what the Holy Ghost tells you to do tonight? Would you say what the Spirit says for you to say? Would you pray the prayer that God wants you to pray? And would you position yourself in a place of ministry and service like the Lord wants you to be? Let the Holy Ghost fill this place. We're in heavenly places. Dear Lord, we don't have to wait forever to get to heaven. Amen. God is here right now. Angels are here. And Paul said when we came to church, we came even to the spirits of just men made perfect to an innumerable company of angels. Praise God. Praise God. Let's lift our hands unto the Lord tonight. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Oh, yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Oh, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand. Thank God. Could we gather tonight for our family prayer? Could we come close against the steps tonight? 